Hello, my name is Ben. My name's Andrew. And we are your hosts of the Two Vague Podcast this week. One word, two hosts, stories, trivia, and video games. And sometimes Pringles. And sometimes why. Yes. <laughs> we are joined this week by Andrew. Partially robot, Andrew. How are you doing partly. today, Andrew? Yeah. Sorry, I said partially robot. That's going to mess up people searching for that. Uh, yes, let's just use the that yeah, tag. We're going to use the parlance, I guess. The parlance which, of partially robot. Although maybe I should I should get that domain name too. Cause <laughs> I mean, you know, have them all redirect there. I mean, that's all redirect. Yeah. Part robot, partially partitioned yeah. robot. I don't know if there would be a partitioned robot, but I mean, you know. You can go down the rabbit hole with that. Yeah, I mean, I th- my multimedia empire could be, um, I could spend a lot of money on domain names for no reason. You know, there was a guy that I knew at work around the time we met who was just snapping up as many domain names as he possibly could, just buying them up mm-hmm. in the hopes that he could sell them off later. And I don't know what happened. It was a thing for a while. Let's not talk about domain names. Let's talk about what you have been up to. Oh, all right. I've been uh, I've been getting radicalized. Oh no! <laughs> now my my school district there was a teacher strike back in November. Yeah, but I'm not in the teachers union. I'm in the other one of the other unions. So one of the part of the fallout from the teacher strike is that uh, to make up school days, they uh, decided to cut winter break in half. While this would have been my first weekend of winter break. You know, a two-week break. Right. It is now not. I work next week. And uh, and then, like, and my job group is like, so you guys are going to pay us time and a half, right, for working on days that aren't our days? And the district's like, well, no, no that's not. We're, um, yeah. There's some back and forth and some, hmm. some bitter feelings. And I've been going to a couple of union meetings. And, you know, I got some buttons. I'm just picking up everybody's uh, anger and bathing in it. It'll be interesting. I don't know if my union will go on strike later because we're we're in negotiations or we're installed negotiations. Growing up in Arizona, it's like if you don't like it, well then get another job. There's really get another job, or how about we just fire you because you're grumbling too much? Like you know, that's it was right to work state. So I got a baby. So that's awesome. Yeah, exactly. Focus on the positive. Yeah, focus on the baby. So like, basically, I'm like, well, maybe we'll go on strike and I'll just get to hang out with the baby more. Yeah. I don't know. There's a, it's a win-win. But oh, there's a lot of other people upset. The custodians and the, the cafeteria people are super pissed. So You could do a, a baby loan program. That's right. Yeah. Where you could just send <laughs> out the baby and say, okay, well, I know you're pissed, but here's a baby. Yeah, I would have to come along with the baby. I think that would be like, if I was going to do that, Catherine would be like, you're going with the baby, right? So <laughs> you're not leaving the baby on the picket line. No, <laughs> I gave him a return address. I mean, it's not like I made her a little gonna... sign. I guess. No. They'll, get, they'll get tired of the baby after a while. No, you're not supposed to do that with babies. So you're not supposed to use them as like emotional tokens. Oh, it's frowned upon. Like those working dogs. Oh, yeah. You got to let the working dogs work. Emotional support animals, too. But has Ricky been tested on the stools? Uh, yeah, Ricky's okay with the, Ricky Jr. is all right with the new bar stools. Sweet. So the, there has been a ceasefire 
between Ricky Jr. and the furniture. I feel like I've uh, I've I've done the work to prevent Skynet from arising for one more day. Okay, you know? all right, one day at a time. <laughs> trying trying to keep the the robots and the artificial intelligence happy. So, do you want to hear about what games I've been playing? Because that's oh what yeah, I, tell me what games you've been playing. Because that's what that's what you've been doing. Well, like I always do. I've been playing mind games, but you're playing real games. Yeah, I'm playing real ga- <laughs> mind games. Well, with the union, right? With the, the union, union stuff. I, I I don't know. I'm not really playing mind games with them. I'm I'm getting appropriately involved, but it's 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 stressful, and I don't want to bring that stress here. So that's why I'm okay. We'll leave it at the door. That's why I'm saying, I'm just saying the custodians are pissed and, and everybody's, anyone who's met a school custodian is like, yeah, they are. (laughs) (laughs) So what I've been into lately, I am part of the way through this game called thirsty suitors. I think I sent you. (laughs) Yeah. I I remember this name and I was like, what? It's not as odd as you think it is. Thirsty suitors is a game that is Boy, how do I describe this? It's a skateboarding slash cooking slash role-playing game where you play the character. Your name is Jala. You're South Asian and you're, mm. you've got your South Asian American parents. Your sister's getting married. You just broke up with your girlfriend and you come back to your hometown and there are seven exes that are angry at you that want to fight you. But what ends up happening is you just clear the air. (laughs) That's what the fighting amounts to. It's just you clear the air and you reach sort of a common ground during the fight. Your exes will say things and you'll say things. And it's just like, yeah, we're just clearing the air. So it's not like anyone really dies or gets hurt or anything. Sort of reminds me of the the plot of High Fidelity. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, goes... (laughs) What was it that I messed up in our relationship? (laughs) Okay, so not to go down the rabbit hole there, but I think he was self-absorbed. It wasn't like he was trying to clear the air to clear the air. He was focused all entirely on himself. Absolutely. Yeah, he was not a likable character, I don't think. No. Yes, he had had to do some personal work. (laughs) Did you see the movie or read the book? I saw the movie. Okay. I, I should read the book. I don't know. There's a lot of books. The book has a part in it that kind of explains, it makes the character sort of more likable. You kind of see that he has, in his twisted way, sort of ethics. He does have some scruples that come into play because there is a lady that calls him. In fact, I think the part where the lady calls him for the records is in there. Or they shot the scene, but they cut it out of the film. Beverly D'Angelo, she's the one who was in Vacation, right? Right, right, the mom, yeah. She played this woman whose husband had gone on a business trip with the secretary and she knew that there was something going on and he got into some trouble and he said to her, sell my record collection, get some money for it, and then wire that money to me. And then she invites Rob over to look at the collection and it is... Uh an amazing collection of records. He's looking through it. He's going, oh my gosh, you've got this, you've got that. Well, how much uh, are you selling this for? And she's like, $5. (laughs) And then he's kind of like, really? You're you're selling this? And then she goes into the whole story about how her husband is cheating, blah, blah, blah. 
and this is what he asked me, and this is what I'm doing. And then they haggle, and it's like, I can't. And then she says, I will wire him $5. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she just wants to, you know, she wants to do that, and she wants, oh, and, and if you give me the, if you, if you give me a, a fresh one, I want to have it framed. <laughs> so that, yeah. and, and he refuses. It's like, you know, I see this one, right. just let me buy this one for this amount of money. She's like, there's another record store that'll buy all this stuff and for that amount. And I was like, yeah, but I just can't do that to a collector. Oh. So it's like kind of a twisted sort of. He's got a code. Right. Even if it is a bro code having to do with records. But I mean, it's still, you know. Yeah. Oh, boy. I don't know how I got off of that. Yeah. Um, because we were talking about the, thirsty suitors. The thirsty suitors. <laughs> thirsty suitors. And I made a connection. I, I'll talk about that more on the next show. It's a very cool, fun story. It's queer positive. Can I say that? You can say that around me. I like queer positive. I okay. Forgot. LGBTQ. You learn the backstories of these characters through her town as you make up with them. And they're, it's really kind of a cool story. But I'll, like I said, I'll get into that on another show. I finished up Dead Island 2, which is a zombie killing game. A zombie killing, yeah. Yeah, it's a first person shooter. Zombies need to be killed. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, we should do a show on the word zombie. We should. So this game, Dead Island 2. Which I just can't get over the it taking place in Los Angeles, which is not an island, but it's it's a sequel. This game was announced. <laughs> get this, Jaeger Development was originally hired to develop the game in 2012. That's over 10 years ago. That's a while ago, yeah. And then they were removed from the project in 2015 and replaced by Sumo Digital, and then Sumo Digital was dropped, and then Dam Buster Studios behind the, the studio Deep Silver. They took over in 2019, and then they finally put it out May of this year. Positively received. I mean, it, it does what it's supposed to do. It, it's a zombie game where you're killing zombies, and you're making your weapons, and it, your character is, you find out, has zombie blood. You get bitten by a zombie. You're immune to the zombie, but you're immune because you've got, you're sort of a hybrid. Oh, yeah. You can do the zombie stuff and you have zombie-ish powers and those people are called Newman. N-U-M-E-N. Newman. Newman. A fun game. A couple things that I didn't like about it. In the end, I spent probably about 60 hours playing through all the DLC and everything. The DLC, one DLC that's come out for it so far was pretty short. It was like a couple hours to play through. It was called Haas. House, H A U S, Haas. House. House. In Deutsch. In, ist in Deutsch. House. 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 There's no house party, but there is techno in it. It's a techno. It's like a techno sex cult kind of thing where you go in there and everyone's in. <laughs> Leather and techno cult, yeah. When you get to the end, there's kind of this, like, is this real? Are you in a simulation kind of moment Man. where it kind of alludes to some of the events that, depending on when you play it, it can allude to events that are about to happen and some that have happened. There's a big computer behind it and it's, the computer is the leader of the zombie sex cult or whatever. <laughs> 
which sounds weird, but it's, you know. It's a little bit too on the nose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <No>. Right. <laughs> Just zombies in Los Angeles. I, you know. Uh, zombies in Los Angeles. I totally get it. Yes. Absolutely. The things that I didn't like about it, you've got these different types, zombie types. You start out with just three, which are shamblers, walkers, and runners. Mm. And then you fight a boss that's a new type that's called a crusher. Uh-oh. The crusher zombies become a normal part of the regular zombies in every area that you go to. And then they add a new one, and then they add another new one. But it's not there's there are no boss fights. They're just these different zombie types. After the crusher, there's a screamer. Then there's like a, a slobber zombie, what they call a slobber that spits. Slobber. Yeah, zombies are gross enough, but when they're slobbering, oh. Then bursters get involved. <laughs> bursters. Yeah, all bursters do is. That is, sounds messy. Yeah, that's what they do. They just run at you and they go, bye bye. And then they explode. <laughs> <laughs> or they approach you and they go, sorry. And then explode. And for some reason, all the California Highway Patrol members all turn into them because it's pretty much those are the ones. That's the other thing, too. It's like they've got a number of skins for each zombie, right? So, you know, you get different ones. But, I mean, one of the ones that they send at you all the time is a California Highway Patrol. Ponch and John. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I couldn't tell from their face because they exploded before... Yeah. And then they have spiky walkers, grenade walkers, it, you know, firefighters, and each one of those has like a resistance to one of your weapon types. Right. There's butcher zombies which kind of crawl around sort of like a spider and they've got these spikes for hands. And then oh, mutators. That's the last one is the mutator. Mutators. Who just turns into a zombie with a big it's a big mouth in the guy's chest and he's got a big arm and he's mutated right fun game i didn't like the thing where it's like the boss fight was one of the things that you fight later on i wish there were traditional boss fights is essentially what i'm saying here Mm. and then also the characters that you play not likable people they paid money to get on this airplane to escape los angeles they're kind of the elite the plane crashes and that's when you start the game I thought the story was kind of dumb. There's some funny stuff in it. There's a, oh boy. I, this is a spoiler alert. And then we'll move on, I swear. Okay. This part was really funny to me. There's a series of submissions where this artist is doing something with zombie parts. She's like, oh no, this is, I need these, you know, give me a dozen infected spleens or give me a dozen of these things and put them in the bucket and then we'll so you know you do those missions for her as the story progresses at the end she's finished her masterpiece and she says come over and check out the masterpiece and i'll give you a a reward you go into her backyard and it's this horse made of zombie parts with a whole zombie riding on it (laughs) and then the character you're playing You've got six different characters you can play, and they each have their different Newman powers, right? The weapons are all the same, but their dialogue is different depending on who you play. So there is a little bit of replayability. The conversations you you have with the characters are all the same. And I know that my character that I play, Danny, who's like this Scottish punk rock retail worker, she says, You've ruined horses. <laughs> 
You don't understand. You've ruined horses. There are some funny parts in it, and it's a pretty well-made game. It's a lot of fun. I played one round of, you know, with a random sort of, you can play with other people, and and the powers kind of complement each other and things like that, but I just don't, I just care about playing through the story. So, 60 hours later, I can say that I have played through Dead Island 2, which I would recommend if you like zombie games, but if you're looking for a story, you don't have to play this story, but it was fun. I'd say a solid seven or eight right up there with RoboCop for a different reason. I mean, it was fun playing through it. I would put RoboCop on top of it, I think. So that's what I've been doing. Killing zombies. Yep. So speaking of killing zombies, do you want to kill another can of Pringles? All right. We've uh, come up to the time where we go on one of my sensory adventures. Andrew's sensory adventures. Brought to you by us. By <laughs> <laughs> Because Pringles isn't sending us anything free yet. No, no, not yet. I mean, we we don't want to. I mean, I didn't mean that like that. I meant like we're we're doing this out of love, out of appreciation of the Pringles out of brand. Appreciations, yes. The, the Pringles brand uh, means something. The uniformly shaped processed potato snack that the always half of them are all crumbled up in the can, but it's it's fine. This one came from Japan, so if it got crumbled up, it's all right. This is a Japanese one. Japan flavor number two. And what was that? What is that flavor? This flavor, according to the Google Translate, is scallop butter soy sauce. Scallop butter soy sauce. Yeah. So, do you have any expectations coming into this one, or this one's a mystery to me? Like the soy sauce, I can, I, I, well, you know, the the last one, the Japan, the um, the addictive garlic. You know, that just like blew my whole concept of what a Pringle could be. Right. I mean, that was like the pinnacle as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So this this could be way up there or I could be like a seafood Pringle. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm, not, it, I'm not sure, but it's an interesting combo. But I, I don't think the Japanese would mess up seafood. Sushi. They're masters of the sushi. I feel like they know what they're doing. And if this is made for, for a Japanese market, mm-hmm. well, hopefully Pringles knows what they're doing. This is not made for the the Walmart market. No, <laughs> the hot honey, <laughs> the hot honey Pringles, which tasted like mildly spicy cardboard. I, I don't know. It was uh, it was not good. It was not good. It was not good. It was it's not good. Floor. It was not. It's the floor. That was of the, the floor. Scale. That was that was the absolute. The people who like criticize the uh, the American palate. Mm-hmm. Well, they have all the ammunition they need there with the Walmart, <laughs> the Walmart only hot honey Pringles. We'll we'll revisit that theme later, but go, right now, scallop butter soy sauce. Scallop butter soy sauce. Okay, let's do it. All right, popping the lid and the little foil thing, and okay, towards the top of the Pringle, Pringles can, we have largely intact Pringles. There are some crumbs down there towards the bottom, I can see, but it's, um... Once again, the stability, pretty solid. So they don't have the pretty same... Pretty solid, I mean, yeah. Yeah, they don't have the same problem as the American Pringles, where the top one always seems to be the one that's mooshed. Yeah, the top one's always mooshed, but this one, you know, it's been in transit, so... Yeah. Just surprised at how, like, how many of the top ones are still that nice little curved oval shape that okay you know what i was thinking about this recently because i have nothing better to do except play video games well maybe it's the way they're stored 
in the middle is where there's the least stability if you store a tube on its side. Whereas I don't know if you store a tube vertically, the top is you know what I mean. So so maybe it's a it's a method of storage. Maybe they store them differently in Japan. That's why I was, maybe maybe Japan has superior potato technology. Perhaps <laughs> I'd like to think they do. Absolutely. So, but I'm going to go for this. This is the, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm smelling it. It has a nice inviting smell. It's not, you know, th- th- it's hard to pick up a smell off of a chip, but there's nothing freaking me out. Okay. Um, it smells like red lobster. <laughs> umami flavor. Yeah. It's, it smells a little bit like a red lobster. Yeah. <laughs> We're the seafood lover in you. Okay. So I'm going to give it a try. All right. Okay. Yeah, I like this one too. It's a nice, it does have a nice like savory, like seafood flavor. Doesn't taste fishy or anything. I mean, does it, have you, if you've eaten scallops before, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, it kind of has that. I mean, it tastes kind of like scallops and, and soy sauce, but also in a crunchy potato chip form. Wow. So another winner. I will probably eat all of these. I'm not sure if Catherine ate any of the addictive garlic. I put them in the pantry and the can's almost empty. So either I ate them all just not thinking or she had some. But yeah, if I tell Catherine their scallop flavor, she probably won't eat them because she doesn't like scallops. But but does she know how to read Japanese? No, I don't think so. And I'm not sure if the scallop thing is more of a texture thing or a flavor thing. Could be either. I know a lot of people who don't like the texture of the scallop, but the flavor, it's sort of a meaty... The thing I like about any kind of seafood is when it doesn't taste like fish. You know, like the smell of fish. Yeah. But if it's got kind of a meaty sort of a... I mean, like shrimp, right? That's one of those things. It's like, I like the flavor of the shrimp. Well, where do you put this? Do you put this above or below the other Japanese flavor of the addictive garlic butter? It's neck and neck. They're right up there. After two samples, I'm going to say that Japan knows how to do Pringles. That's we have a third flavor to try another time, but you know, right now I'm be like the third one is curry. I can't see curry being anything but overpowering, but we'll see. You said the Japanese people do Pringles pretty well, so yeah, the Japanese arm of the Pringles company. They're making some fun snack chips. So. Exactly. You don't see them doing hot honey. No, no, like hot honey. There, there could be like a higher quality uh, potato flake. And I, I would not be, you know, I don't want to like culturally stereotype or anything. But, but you know, if if there was some rice flour in there, I would not be surprised. And oh yeah, that could uh, improve the. It could be. I don't. I don't know because I the, when I tried to Google to translate the ingredients the other time, um, the curvature of the can kept messing it up. Right. So. This one says smile. I don't know what that means. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, but I'm gonna trust that. Um, I do trust that Japan knows what they're doing as far as Pringles are concerned. Yes, we have a lot to learn from them. We do. <laughs> this is a message to you at the United States Pringles, <laughs> or more specifically, the inventor of the hot honey Pringle. Take your lessons from Japan. Go, go over there, check it out, see what's going on there. Now I just regret that I didn't actually try any of those. Um, European Pringles flavor. <laughs> so it's just well, yeah, next just, time, next time you got a new thing. I'm not. I'm not here to eat European Pringles. I'm here to eat 
strange dishes with tripe that I don't understand what I'm ordering. But, right. Yeah. But I mean, that can be but, another yeah. lo- sort of a side quest, if you will, side when you're on your adventure. Yeah, yeah it could be. Let's try all these unique airport Pringles. <laughs> yeah. Next trip. I'll make sure we do get that. Yep. And for the record, there is no airport Pringles side quest in uh, Dead Island 2. Sadly. Oh, no. No. <laughs> no but it did ruin horses, so that's good. Okay, excellent. Well, uh, so that's a good one. Think about whether or not uh, you're going to put that above and below for the next show. Yeah, whether this is the new ceiling. like You got to let that stew a little, you know? Just you let you know. it stew. It's definitely above suspicious stew. <laughs> Speaking of, yeah, definitely. Speaking of. It's not a gimmick. It is definitely a good flavor. Okay, excellent. Well, that's good to know. Two out of two. Man, if this continues, I'm going to have to get you some uh, more exotic flavors, like from Australia. <laughs> Australia. The Vegemite Pringle. Yeah. <laughs> I know that you have some preconceived notions about Australia. So, I mean, you know, maybe we can change those. Most of most of them were uh, created by, by Paul Hogan. Oh, really? But, <laughs> the preconceived notions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, at least it wasn't... Uh, Outback Steakhouse. Or, uh, you know, that, that one Men at Work song, you know, that actually. Down oh, yeah, under, yeah. Yeah, Men at Work. Right. They were yeah, good. They were good, yeah. I was a big fan of the Men at Work. Okay, so let's move on to our episode word this week. Our actual episode word yes, is. Yes, which is sort of uh, mollusk adjacent. Mollusk adjacent, yes. Yes. Some mollusks produce this word. Yeah. <laughs> Some. And some command the uh, rebel fleet. You know, the rebel fleet, yeah. <laughs> some of them do. They missed out on a big opportunity to have him <laughs> get really scared about something. Like, during the part where he's going, it's a trap. Yeah. He should have just like, like a big ink cloud. That's <laughs> like, oh boy. Yeah. I think I just, I think I just inked my suit. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Where's the bathroom on this thing? Because maybe um, maybe Seth Green can do that in a robot chicken. If he hasn't already. If he hasn't already, he's done a lot of stuff. He's done a lot, but yeah, missed a big opportunity on that one with uh, Admiral Akbar inking himself. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if. <laughs> Speaking of inking, our word this week is the word ink, not incorporated. I N K. No ink, like inky pinky. Blinky and Clyde. All right. For the video game segment. Yeah, that could have been a video game tie-in too. But no, I got something a little bit more exciting. <laughs> Good. The video Good. All right. All right. I'll, I'll wait. I'll wait for the excitement. Yes. The word this week is the word ink. Ink. When we met, I used to do all sorts of pen drawings and stuff back in the day. Mm-hmm. Ink and paper. And when I wasn't doing my oil-based pastels on canvas... And then you have sort of fondness for ink. Where do you think that came from? Is that something you've been doing your entire life? Or I started out with pencils. No, I... <laughs> <laughs> no, I started, uh, started out with human blood. We went with that. Human blood. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I started out peeing in the snow. No, I started out. You know, when I was like eighteen or nineteen. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I was like, I want to become a comic book artist. Okay. Or I want to make my own comics just because the medium really called to me is like this idea of combining pictures and words to tell stories. 
Like I felt like that was a better way to get my ideas out of my head than trying to write paragraphs. I did have a fondness for writing before that. And then I had some like emotional issues that gave me a huge block about like writing. So it was easier to write if I was combining it with drawing. Mm-hmm. And then so and I was like really into comics already. And I was specifically into like the 90s black and white indie comics. So not your traditional, not like your four color kind of things. Or did you also like those two? I mean, I did like the superhero comic, the Marvels, the DC, you know, like there's like your Marvel people and your DC people. And, and I don't know why, but it's not that I hate DC, but I always liked Marvel more. I just thought DC had the dumbest weaknesses. Yeah. I I think, I think part of it is because like the Marvel superheroes, Stanley definitely tried to give them like real, like human weaknesses rather than, Oh, kryptonite or yellow things. Right. You know, <laughs> it was like, well, Tony Stark has an alcohol problem, you know, <laughs> that, that that school bus is going over a cliff. Green Lantern can't Green do Lantern can't do anything about it. About it. <laughs> Nothing. He's like, soups, soups will help. Yeah. You make a great point with Stan Lee, because I think a lot of his things were based on his own experiences and human sort of experiences, whereas yeah in dc the superheroes were more of a fantasy right and stan lee kind of treated them more like human beings with very complex sort of and we're yeah they're symbolically working on things that everybody's working on you know right whereas the dc ones are more gods that's pretty much they're they're all kind of like godlike. they're they're like superman is totally overpowered it's hard to relate to him as a person like definitely a hero but mm-hmm. even batman is Oh, he's rich. He's complete. It's like he's got Batman. a lot of. He's got all the money, so he can do whatever the heck he wants. He's not. He might yeah, not be super, but Marvel has more relatable, more characters. more relatable characters. And they, yeah, there was a big sort of indie comic scene that you got into. Yeah, and, and part of it had to do with like, well, you know, like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were like, you know, the original, yeah, you know, comics of that were like came out in the eighties. And it was just like a time where some things came together. There was like a newsprint was really cheap because they'd like overproduced it at some point. Or maybe like newspapers were starting to fold. So like there was this infrastructure that needed to print stuff on this paper stock that was there. So it was easy for independent publishers to just sort of come up and and start creating these different characters. And there was a, you know, the a comic book store network and comic book distributors that made it easy to find that fandom at that time. So right. there were like a whole lot of little like black and white independent comics coming out from a lot of different companies. So it was just like this little, little boom of creativity. It was pretty fascinating. So yeah, I got into like doing like dip pen and ink kind of thing, like using like the speedball crow quills and you know, different of the, the dip pen, pen nibs to try to ink my stuff. And right. I had a, it was a steep learning curve because I had to like teach myself how to draw too. Like I'd taken some, your high school art class was not really giving me what I needed to know about like anatomy and stuff. So, Mm -hmm. so there was a while where I went to community college, took some art classes. And then, you know, when I tell the art teacher, yeah, I want to do comics. And then they're like, go like, so that was, yeah. Also not the most positive 
Yeah, it's not a very good positive feedback for me, but I kept I so the, but that's how I like got into zines and stuff. Yeah. You know, make, making my little thing and I realized, oh, photocopies were cheap at that time and I was like, oh, I can photocopy my weird comics that aren't that great. But <laughs> but I got better. <laughs> oh yeah. It just kind of takes time. It take it takes a lot of time, but I I really always liked the way that like a page of comics would look when I use, you know, that kind of ink, mm-hmm. especially like uh, a really nice high carb black ink, like Dr. PH Martin's that, different than the Dr. Martin's shoes spelled a little different, but right. Dr. PH <laughs> Martin's ink. Yes. I was like, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I picked up some things from other friends who are into illustration and stuff. And I wasn't Dr. Martin's ink ink. Was it? No, I think it's an LLC. Okay. But no, I don't. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. No. <laughs> but, and I just kind of, uh, I just really like the way that that kind of stuff looks. And it is kind of messier. It can be. You can spill a lot. You, you know, which meant me using a lot of white out or using these white correction pens and trying to clean up my comics. Yeah. Nowadays, that we live in the time of computers, I can just scan the image and then go into software and just like clean it up there. And and I probably could, you know, there's all all the kids today. They love their like Procreate and Canva and everything. And yeah, I'm just this this dinosaur that's like, nope, I'm gonna spill ink all over my <laughs> art table because <and laughs> I like it. Listen, that's completely valid. I mean, I I'm one of those quote unquote kids today that. Really? I mean, there's just so much to learn in Procreate and I, you know, learn something new just about every time I do one of my art pieces for the show. It's such a powerful tool, but I can understand wanting to do, I mean, I can come up with things that look very similar to my oil-based pastels on canvas down to even the texture of the canvas, right? Right. Even in that, you can simulate all that stuff. But it's just not the same feeling as just doing it manually. And I'm sure there's an emotional connection there, too, that you establish by doing things manually. But it's a huge time saver. Right, that's the thing. I realize that. Like, oh, gosh, that's a huge time saver if you can just do that. But I, I've, I'm at this point where I realize that, oh, when I draw, I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I'm doing a thing I enjoy. Right. I'd heard about Inktober for several years, but this year I actually, like realized on october 1st that it was happening and i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna do that this year yeah i was under the impression that you'd been doing it for a while but yeah this is your first first year doing it huh yeah so then i i I dug out my old comic stuff and so not not every time did i use like the dip pens and all that right i used different pens and stuff on different days depending on what was going on like there are a few days where we were um hanging out in the hospital all day long because of uh, yes. that's what you do when you have a new baby. So uh, there was a few of them that I, you know, did with, I brought, you know, some of my little micron pens and a sketchbook and I, I was doing them on the bench in the, in the room while, while labor was going on next to me. You know? Right. <laughs> well, while Catherine was doing all the hard work. <laughs> they were doing all the hard work. And I was like, I was like, honey, honey, I got to draw. I got 15 uh, minutes. I got to no. <laughs> I'm trying doing this. No, actually, it was really it was part of the challenge that was really motivating for me to like be like, okay, I've got to find a block of time to do this. Right. 
And because I knew I had all these other constraints on my time, I was like, okay, I'm going to sit down and do it. And if things are messy, I don't have time to care. And I, I can celebrate the imperfections. And sometimes, sometimes I look kind of cool with a little random, oh yeah, you know, drops of ink. And especially now, like with all the AI generated artwork that people are playing with right now, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people, a lot of complicated feelings about that. And so my feelings are like, I just really like drawing things by hand. So I'm like, I'm just going to focus on, I know this is a positive thing I like, so I'm going to do it. And then I like how it looks. That's what hobbies should be, right? Yeah. So, I mean, other people are giving the robot a little prompt and then it comes up with our work. And then other like, you know, professional illustrators are, you know, upset about the AIs or sampling their work or yada, yada, yada. I realized that, oh, that is not my fight. And if I'm like really enjoying my doing my art by hand, then it has nothing to do with the AI fight. So I don't have to worry about it. Here's my hot take. Don't you want AI to be sampling your work? That means that you are searchable. You're notable as an excellent artist. You are, you know what I mean? Your notoriety. And it doesn't really cheapen your art as long as it doesn't duplicate it identically. The the problem is that for people who being an illustrator is their job, mm-hmm. it makes the product of their job or something that looks similar to their product be able to be generated for no money. And well, so that means their livelihood is at risk. So that's their big argument. But it's like the same fear that happened when photography was invented. Before photography, oil paintings were like very realistic. Then photography got invented and then all of a sudden there was impressionism. So it's like artists going to art. People who are professional illustrators can, I don't know, either change with the time. Innovate. Innovate or, you know, figure it out. But it is, there is a concern that the people that, and, and this is very much the same fear that was going on with the Hollywood strikes for an actor. If my features and voice can be digitally replicated and they don't need to actually physically hire me to be in the background of a sitcom when they need a crowd scene, then I don't have my job anymore. Yeah. So, I mean, I think like for like background extras, yeah, that's probably more of a concern. There's a lot of stuff, but then there's also like the idea of like, well, I don't know. I don't work professionally in that industry. Yeah. So I, and I do feel like there's a lot that's problematic about multiple industries. And I would, I would be like, you know what? If everybody, you know, if I, if we went all socialists and everybody had healthcare and everybody had a, a place to live and food to eat every night, then it wouldn't matter if the AIs were taking our jobs, right? Yeah. We could just make what we want to make and have a fun time. And I think that's another thing here is the question of what is the purpose of your art? There's that. Yeah. If you're threatened by something that can do it automatically, that art is, doesn't mean anything. It doesn't have any deeper meaning. It was just created by a computer it's like so yeah a lot of a lot of the like stuff that's created by a computer it's like well that would be work for higher stuff advertising illustration and all that and like well that is something that 
we'll pay the bills so that you can do your real art on your own time. And there's also a concern about it cheapening the the whole thing. It's like if you can do this with this AI component, you can create an inking with that. Well, then there's going to be all this garbage out there. But then again, I mean, you're going to have to wade through all that garbage to get to the artist. You're not wrong. Well, the big argument against it is like the economics of how are professional artists going to be able to keep eating. So I think that's that's like the the existential fear. And then it's like, well, we're all living in Disneyland right now as far as as far as look at all this great stuff. And it's like we're not uh, I mean, not all of us are living in Disneyland, but in the United States. And especially like in Hollywood, like people are, you know, busting their butts to make entertainment things. But, you know, that same time is like, well, they have a job where they make entertainment things. I applaud them for fighting their fights and making their arguments. And uh, at the end of the day, I'm like, well, I got a day job that's not my art. So, right. Exactly. That's another benefit. But I mean, AI is creeping into, I mean, other people's, you know, workplaces. So it is a concern as far as general AI. It's, guess, it's a but, concern, but I think that at the end of the day, you know, AI is just another toy right now and it's a toy and it's a tool. And so if you want to be able to use the tool effectively, you'll learn how to use the tool effectively. And and if you want to just be a, a Luddite and say, no, the old ways are the only ways, then you're going to have a hard time. You're going to be left behind too. That's why when it... I was doing the Inktober. I was like very mindful of like, this is a thing I'm enjoying and I'm sharing it on Instagram and I'll put the hashtags on it. And Before we get into the specifics of Inktober, let me read the definition of ink. Of ink. Yeah. How do we skip that? I think it was my fault. The definition of ink, the noun, a colored fluid used for writing, drawing, painting, or duplicating Informally, publicity in the written media. You get ink, yeah. A tattoo or tattoos. In zoology, a black liquid ejected by a cuttlefish, octopus, or Admiral Akbar to confuse a predator. <laughs> Sorry, a squid. Squid. A squid. And then you have the verb part of it, which is ink to apply, apply the noun. <laughs> yeah. You've got mark, uh, words or design with ink cover type or stamp with ink before printing obliterate something, especially writing with ink. He carefully inked out each word obliterate. Are they talking about? Okay. I can see. Yeah. I wrote that word. That wasn't the right word. And then you go back and just like cover it up with ink so nobody can like redacting it kind of like that informal north american assign secured services someone with a contract so basically pen and ink inking something right yeah origin middle english inky from old french ink e-n-q-u-e by way of late latin from the greek and custom okay okay denoting the purple ink used by Roman emperors for signatures mm. from Enkainen burn in. There is our definition and our brief origin. The thing I was thinking of with obliterate, kind of the redacting thing, there was one of my favorite Onion articles that is about how 
the government just realized that they purchased a whole bunch of black highlighters. (laughs) (laughs) We're trying to emphasize that. Um, It was black. Now it looks like we're trying to. We're trying to hide information. One of my memories involving ink, I took drafting back when drafting was the way we made our blueprints or well not you know, Oh yeah. The part for our blueprints that we would yeah, that's... feed through the machine to make the blueprints, which smelled like ammonia. Not to get too technical about it, all through high school I took four years of drafting. So I remember on my drafting board at home. I would do things with my tech pens, which I bought for drafting class, Mm -hmm. which were kind of expensive little things, but it was same problems you have with like quill pens with other types of pens where you do get messy drops and drips. And then also you got to be very concerned with where you place your hand and sometimes you need to rotate, but more often than not, you don't need to. You just need to think about the order in which you are inking your drawing exactly yeah typically left to right but then there are also some you know left to right top to bottom is generally what i did i do have fond memories of staying up late at night yeah (laughs) watching david letterman while i'm doing my inkings for drafting class oh yeah yeah that's one thing that i think of as that and also tattoos I, i guess i think of that i used to yeah tattoos yeah I used to do designs that, you know, resembled sort of tribal looking things, which also sometimes appear in my oil-based pastels on canvas. It was just 100% expression, putting it out on paper. I really didn't care about, I mean, it was just doing stuff that made me feel okay. Sometimes they had meaning, sometimes they didn't. That's like the, one of the most like powerful things about art is just like you're doing something that makes you feel okay oh yeah it has that power of getting something out you're doing it sometimes i have a very clear idea of what i'm doing other times i'm just like doodling but the doodling leads to something if i want it to you know similar to inktober where you have your prompts i mean that's pretty much my show it's like i will have a word right i just take an idea and run with it and if i come up with a better idea i just scrap that idea and go with the new idea until I get something that's complete, but it has to be done within a certain amount of time in general. So it's like you can put out some really interesting, fun stuff if you're on a deadline to make something. That's right. Yeah. It's a challenge, but it's also keeps the gears working. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Knowing that there's like a certain structure you have to fit really helps you focus on what it is you want to put in there. A framework kind of thing. Yeah. I did find the daily prompts were interesting because. So there was a couple of days where I just really hated the word and I was just phoned it in. Well, that's the thing too. It's like, you've got to think of, it's sort of a, what is this associated with kind of thing. I liked your take in your, some drawings I did this October. Is, it, is that the name of the? Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. That's what I called it. Yeah. Some drawings yeah. I made this October. <laughs> yeah. The one angle. <laughs> yeah. That was- <laughs> Which is actually angel. It was supposed to be angel. and it- Was that intentional or did you actually misread it and then start working on angle and then that was all deliberate i was like i was so tired and i was i just knew that that was like a, a common uh you know a misspelling yes of, of angel like you would write angle instead and so I, I was just like oh 
I have a protractor. I can make an angle really easily <laughs> and then do my little, for some reason, like the tiny silhouettes of my comic characters are really easy for me to do. And I always feel very satisfied when I see like the little, it's just the little scribbly silhouette of Booger Bear. And it just makes me happy. So yeah. I was like, okay. You came up with that when you started, right? Like when you were in 19, I mean, that was like your, one of your first, I don't know, imaginary friend, but sort of alter ego maybe. Yeah, kind of. He just some somebody that like, and it was like, uh, it started out as a random doodle, and I was like, oh, what the heck is this thing with weird bear with his big nose turned up? And I was like, and I just wrote his name Booger Bear, and I was like, yep, that's him. <laughs> and then actually, at that time, I got some fabric paint and some cheap T-shirts from Michaels, and I was making Booger Bear T-shirts for my friends. Nice. And we, <laughs> it was like right after the big uh, Central Arizona Project uh, nightmare that happened. When the Central Arizona Project first got to Tucson, the they tested out connecting it directly to the Tucson water supply. Right. They did it in a test neighborhood, and immediately the change in pH between that and the the water that had just just turned everybody's tap water brown because it uh, reacted with stuff that was in the pipes and just right release all these sediments. And so then the city had to go and repipe a bunch of people's houses. And that happened, and then. So I made a shirt that was like Booger Bear, safe as CAP water and just as brown. You know, just like (laughs) (laughs) one of my first political cartoons. Yep. (laughs) Yep. That's it. (laughs) Safe as CAP water and just as brown. Booger Bear gets sort of an alter ego. It's like, does Booger Bear say things that Andrew doesn't? Yeah. I'm still like learning about Booger Bear. Like he's, uh, yeah, he just has been like this recurring character that I keep drawing, and then I often draw him in doing dialogues with the Drew character, which is you know me, right, in cartoon form, and like, but it's like so they're having their conversations, and Booger Bear is obviously like coming from some part of me that is like able to take a step back and come at it from a different viewpoint come at it from a sort of different angle and kind of make the emperor's new clothes kind of statements from a different angel yeah if he comes at it from a different angel that's right (laughs) exactly one good turn first i was like well this is the dumbest doodle i ever made and then i was like but i kind of like it and i kept making it and and then started doing more like elaborate drawings and more like details and like what if i did this what if i did that and um it's pretty fun what made you get involved in Inktober? Because I know it was started because he wanted to improve his inking. So he just kind of, that's what he did. He yeah, just he, just, a, he created, yeah, the guy, was it Jake Parker? Is that his name? Yeah, I believe so, yeah. The illustrator who like started, yeah, you know, he just started like, here's a, here's a challenge. Let's do this. Let's do an ink drawing every day in the month of October. And he to like just practice on, you know, working on inking skills, you know, with, social media like at some point i'd you stumble across the drawings that other people will make and they're like i'm doing inktober and it's it's sort of like um you know the the national novel novel writing month in november Mm -hmm. you heard of that one yeah the nanowrimo which i was like i'm never gonna do that because (laughs) i know how long it takes me to write stuff and i will just get upset and I think every other year I just didn't notice Inktober was a thing until like, you know, s- six or seven days into the month and go like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And like this year, I just I saw somebody's post on the first day and I was like, 
it's the first day of October. I could do this. And also, um, over the past summer, I were, I made a little tiny comic book and I, I like focused on making comics for a little bit in a way that I hadn't done in a while. And I just really enjoyed doing those drawings. So then I was like, oh, this is just a thing that I can do. I could just keep doing drawings and enjoying it. And, um, yeah, I'll just follow the prompt every day. It's called Inktober. It's for ink, but you can pretty much do it with anything. Take a prompt word and do it in your chosen media. Yeah, you can. It's like, it, there's there's no real rules. I mean, there's only like one one rule now. What's that rule? And Well, that's that. Don't talk about Fight Club? No, I think uh, what happened like in 2019... You know, the Jake Parker guy decided to trademark his Inktober logo. Mm, yeah. And so a few people got like cease and desist letters for like just sort of using his logo in their stuff or in pu- publications or oh. I don't know, they maybe they were making prints or something. And since they were using his logo, I think somebody said, oh, you should crack down on that. And then there was some backlash against that. Mm-hmm. That part settled down a bit, but I think that would set the stage for the other controversy. The plagiarism for his book? The guy who said that he plagiarized his drawing book, yeah. Which I didn't look, I didn't go too deep down that rabbit hole. If people want to go down that rabbit hole. By all means. Yeah, I went a little bit. To me, what it amounts to is it's an art book. There's only a certain number of things to cover. If the order in which you're covering these items I mean, it it maybe just makes sense to cover these things in a specific order or organize things in a specific way. That doesn't mean that it's copying the book. It just means that it's a good way of organizing these things, right? Yeah, it's it it does, and like there's so many already existing, yeah, like drawing books. I mean, the main thing is like the name recognition of who's popular is going to sell a book more than the guy who made the one 10 years ago and is now feeling sad that he's not selling as many copies and like well it's sort of the nature of the beast is like uh you just got to keep doing things and we sort of touched on it with our ai conversation or bit of it it's like you're doing it for a living so you know you're doing it for work right but i mean part of doing something for work for me i i keep that separate from my enjoyment I think just the site itself sort of has its origin in enjoying it. I don't know if he still enjoys it. I don't know if there's a the menu thing going on here where it's like he's so caught up in the Inktober things that he's doing that he doesn't enjoy it anymore, but I'd like to think he does. That's the kind of thing where like, yeah, he doesn't have to do it. And there are other people that come up with their own drawing prompt lists and Yeah, exactly. As far as like the Inktober phenomenon is like, well, this is just a thing that that happens. People are like can participate in it if they want to. Just like people can participate in Whamageddon if they want to. What what again? Whamageddon. Oh, Whamageddon. It's the season for Whamageddon. It's like the game that people play where they are still in it until they hear the song last christmas by wham oh and then okay. once they hear it then then they're not in the game anymore and they've moved on to wham holla or something like that i'm not sure but <laughs> it's, okay. it's kind of dumb it's just something that somebody thought of a few years ago as like a, it's just a silly game and like well okay it's like a six degrees or 
Uh, six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, yeah. yeah. And that one was ruined by computers. It wasn't ruined. It was just perfected in such a way that made it no more fun. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Somebody optimized a web search to figure out, oh, most actors are at most two degrees of Kevin Bacon. <laughs> yeah. Then you incorporate style points. That's what you yeah, do. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, exactly. Like, like it's like the New York Times crossword puzzle. You could Google every single clue if you want to to keep your streak going. And I've done that. But anyway, because I, I, <laughs> I do not know every tennis player's name. I'm sorry. <laughs> I gotta Google the sports things, but yeah. But also, like, I'm not a crossword puzzle purist either. So yeah. If you're that much of a purist, keep it, keep it in your own. I mean, you know, yeah, don't bother other people with it. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. It's like the thing that I can relate it to is video games. Obviously people talking about how it's like, no, this is the way you play the game. It's the real way. This is a real gamer. Like those types of things. The real way to play. Yeah. Like, uh, if you're playing it and you're enjoying it, you're doing it right. Yeah. Right. There is no way. Tell me about your, um, your video game the the tattooed what are they doing what's it called it's called tattoo assassins tattoo assassins yes by data east by the way for those not keeping score at home this is our video game segment tattoo assassins is a game i remember seeing as a test game i think i've mentioned before that the guy who owned my local arcade in crystal lake illinois he had the connections because he started his arcade when it was there were more pinball machines in an arcade than there were video games. And then as the popularity of arcade games switched, he started to follow that, although he loved pinball so much that he kept the ratio of pinball machines to arcade games at a specific level. We always had at least 10 pinball machines in the arcade at any given point in time. So we would get these test games, and one of the test games that we got was this Tattoo Assassins, which was trying to capitalize on the popularity of Mortal Kombat. Right. The original, which came out, I believe, in 1992. We also had that as a test game, actually. And then also Mortal Kombat 2, the sequel to Mortal Kombat, duh. It came out in 93. So this was trying to answer, this is like, capitalizing on what are the two popular things that we see in video game trends fighting games are getting really popular and then also tattoos are getting really no no um <laughs> this whole thing of uh finishing moves is, is starting right, to the finishing moves yeah fatality mortal kombat 2 they kind of up the ante on the number of finishing moves so tattoo assassins never released in arcades made by their pinball division (laughs) (laughs) data east's pinball division made this game this is one of those weird sort of fun facts uh bob gale bob gale (laughs) bob gale yes did he do a couple of earnest scared stupid that's one he wrote it really i believe he also like worked on apocalypse now one in the in that old like american zoetrope crew like with uh coppola and and uh zemeckis and uh all those guys i went to usc he was one of those guys yeah screenwriters gail and zemeckis collaborated on 
1941, I Want to Hold Your Hand, Used Cars, Trespass. East St. Louis, Illinois. What? That's where he's from, apparently. Oh, East St. Louis, Illinois. East St. Louis, Illinois. How confusing can you be? On the 31st of January, 2014, it was announced that a stage musical adaptation of the Back to the Future film was in production. Wow, what happened to that one? I do not know. Maybe it didn't make it out of COVID. (laughs) Oh, he did some DC and Marvel stuff, it looks like, too. So he did some comic deals as well. Most notably, Bob Gale, co-writer with Robert Zemeckis of the Back to the Future film. He was the director, so obviously... Right. Uh, okay, so you like like any of like the motion capture or whatever. Yeah, I sent you a link. Yeah. This wasn't a released game. So most of what the people captured, my assumption is it was from... Did you ever get into MAME? Multiple arcade emulator? No, but... But you're familiar with its existence. I'm familiar with it, because I remember you, you you were telling me about him, and then I was like, oh yeah, that's cool. And yeah. Then, have my laptop and I could play Pac-Man or Gyrus or any of the old-fashioned games. Yeah, I, I remember seeing you doing that on your laptop. Somehow, I, mean, I don't know where the information was that got all these chips, but I mean, essentially what MAME did was it simulated the board that was used to produce the game. And instead of game engines or dev engines, right, you had different systems that were essentially like okay, here's the next generation of system. This is the next circuit board that we're using for all of our games or the next thing. I mean, it was very similar to what we see now with consoles where it's, we're going to do this on this system. And then they would run that, its course, put out half a dozen or more games on it, and then move on to the next game engine, different board. But they were pretty standard, so that what the multiple arcade emulator did was it took the actual chip information that allegedly you could take that and you could actually encode it onto a chip if you had the right equipment. Mm -hmm. So you could have replacement chips, which they say is the reason why, quote unquote, the reason why they made it. But it turned out to be just fun for a lot of people to reminisce about the old days, essentially. So a part of that whole information, like when you got all that information, wherever they got it from, who knows, but Tattoo Assassins was one of the games that was included in a lot of these downloads. So I sent you a tape, a tape, a YouTube video. Yeah. (laughs) Somebody TiVo'd a tape and then they put it on YouTube. No, no, that's not, that's not what happened. It's actually, (laughs) it's it's probably just actual footage from MAME or someone just kind of strung all these different finishing moves together. (laughs) And not all of them, because apparently what it had quote unquote going for it was it claimed to have over 2000 different finishing moves. Mm -hmm. Now the problem with having over 2000 finishing moves is similar to games that have over 100 endings or whatever. You're going to get some really horrible ones. Yeah. And if you watch this video, there are some really awful, weird... Like the one I told you about, you do your finishing move and a big battleship falls on your opponent and underneath it says, eat ship and die. (laughs) (laughs) Just an opportunity to use lame puns, I guess. I I bet that was all Bob Gale. (laughs) we gotta include this one we totally need to 
<laughs> Funny thing, also, what is in there, there is, and it's included in that footage, one finishing move where a DeLorean runs over the character. <laughs> that most certainly was a Bob Gale. Absolutely. 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 Little Huey Lewis riff right there. They also Gotta get back in time. <laughs> DeLorean. <laughs> and then there was like changing people into squirrels and these, you know, the whole story. Yeah, I know. I, I saw some of those. Like uh, that guy got turned into a seal. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Thank you. I guess. I was like, and I'm like, I think that one was a hate crime. I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah. There was, there was like <laughs> turning people into geisha girls. Yeah, I was which like, is like, I'm what like, kind of, I'm, what kind of weird kink is that? I mean, I don't. I just tell you that game would not not hold up to today's woke agenda. That's what I. <laughs> I don't. You know, that's that's no. I don't know. No. Culturally, <laughs> well, I mean, there's also you had your different characters in the game. You could play as one of I think it was eight. There was. AC Current, Cybernetic Mercenary. AC Current? <laughs> AC is a cyber mercenary who travels the net, cracking computer systems for the highest bidder. After being set up in an industrial espionage double-cross, AC is wanted by Interpol and by his former employer. There's Billy Two Moons. Yeah, Billy Two Moons. That was the one I was like, that's problematic. Yeah, but, yeah. that <laughs> definitely is problematic. <laughs> Derek O'Toole, which is a rock star falsely accused of terrorist activities. <laughs> Hannah Hart, which is a world class. Oh, geez. Seriously? Hannah Hart was a world class stripper on a she's on a world class <laughs> stripper on a mission to avenge her friend's death. <laughs> yeah, that is that's classic Bob Gale right there. That's <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Carla Keller, obvious spoof on ice skater Nancy Kerrigan. Mm-hmm. There was Luke Cord. <laughs> what a dumb mm. Luke Cord. And this is what it says here in his briefing or whatever. Former Navy SEAL who was abandoned by the Army. <laughs> okay uh, that tracks like the Army. The Army doesn't give a shit uh, right, right. Navy SEALs, yeah. <laughs> after a secret operation against the soviets yeah the army is like oh, what are you doing with the soviets <laughs> a former navy seal who was stranded in alaska after a secret operation against the soviets was compromised by a bureaucrat. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Leave it to the bureaucrats. Those bureaucrats. Ugh. He has been declared dead by the U.S. Navy, but the CIA still has a contract out on him because of his knowledge, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Also, you had Maya, who was an Amazonian princess looking to avenge her father's death. You had Takahata, T-A-K-H-A-T-A, who was framed for murder, a murder he did not commit. No way. No way. <laughs> he didn't commit it. No. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like the fugitive. Listen, it was just a maiming. <laughs> I just maimed him. I didn't kill. I didn't. 
Someone else finished him off. Dream <laughs> for a maiming he did not commit. He is wanted by both the Yakuza and the Japanese police. Last but not least, Truck Davis, the sole survivor of an ambush from a rival bike gang. Truck is set on revenge. Can't beat a character name like Truck. (laughs) (laughs) Truck. I don't know, man. Let me just one more thing and then we can close off the show with this. All right. Get the taste out of our mouth from this horrible game. But, I mean, take a look at the footage of this. There's just so many horrible ones. It just doesn't make sense. So it's like turns into a penguin. It's like, what? (laughs) And each character has a tattoo that's on them that gives them certain powers. And there's one that's a tiger and the tiger bites off the guy's head or slices him. It sounds like the kind of game that was designed for my brother. At the time, like he would have, him and his friends, they would have just like, you know, the Beavis and Butthead crowd, they would have loved it. Yeah. (laughs) At least with something like Mortal Kombat, they spent time and effort. I mean, the game itself was very choppy. As far as the fighting itself, it was bad. It was just a bad game Mm -hmm. altogether as far as the fighting. But what they focused on was making these ridiculous 2000 finishing moves including being able to turn around, you know, the, the female characters can turn around and flames shoot out of their butt and catch the <laughs> other person on fire. That, that, that's like one of the finishing moves. Yeah, that's, that's, um, <sighs> man, that's a lot of quarters going into that machine. That's, <laughs> but all the 12 year old boys will be like, <laughs> flames out of her butt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe it was just a, it was a it was an idea before its time. No, it's yeah, it's no night trap. That oh, did you see night trap finally? I I, I watched that that whole little yeah the little documentary and I was like, wow, <laughs> isn't it an interesting story? Like how they you know it, the initial it was were... it's interesting yeah, and like how like uh, yeah that was amazing. It's like no so, no you guys can't have ninjas. <laughs> can't have ninjas like oh so they got yeah they made up the most ridiculous kind of like the augers like weird vampires vampires wearing trash bags (laughs) yep that'll sell they're like yeah like well it did because of thanks congress the story behind it is more interesting than the game itself yeah right it was an interesting idea that they could have done better. Yeah, the, the whole fact that like Hasbro didn't want it to be dark, so they had everything lit up like a Kmart. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like, the guy's like, ah, we were just like taking every note and doing everything to make it <laughs> exactly what they wanted. That was the problem, right? Oh, it was not good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's what it was. It was like. Product of its time. Yeah, exactly. I I just think, who did not tell them about the acronym choice there being SCAT? Who who did not speak up? Let's see if this passes. (laughs) Means something else. So, Tattoo Assassins, it is the hot honey equivalent of fighting games. We'll just call it that. (laughs) Yeah. It looks like it. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely bad. I will add the, the wolf. Hot honey. <laughs> and I don't know if you, the beginning of it, you see this little, uh, this guy who looks like an old Asian man wearing a diaper. 
It's like, oh, yeah, I saw that. I saw that. I was like, boy, this is this is gold. <laughs> I've been um sampling the, the scallop butter soy sauce Pringles. I think I'm going to put them a notch higher than the uh, the addictive garlic. Oh, wow. OK. I mean, they're it's really close. But, you know, you told me to think about it and I've been thinking about it. And So do you want to close the show with that as your final thought or do you have a final thought about ink? My final thought about ink. My final thought about ink is like... Uh, I don't have any tattoos (laughs) and that's only because I never thought of one that I really wanted and now I'm probably too old, but that's fine. I don't think you're too old. I just think, you know, if if you want something to uh, decorate your body, I mean, that's the thing. Back in the day, I had piercings. I went that route because I could take them out at a certain point, Mm -hmm. which you can't do with tattoos. But I was old enough at that point in time to say to myself, something that I liked, like Clash of the Titans helped me. I looked at Clash of the Titans and I go, that was so great. And then I see Clash of the Titans 10 years later. And you go, what? So that was the early lesson I learned. Thank you, Harryhausen. Ray Harryhausen. For that lesson on tattoos not going to be something that you want on your body forever the odds of that are very improbable although i would say that i do see i don't know i see a lot more interesting tattoos these days along with the interesting ones there's also bad there's a lot of bad ones yeah i saw one on the internet it's a fist that has blood on it and it's got a little ribbons above and below and it says cunt puncher (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no uh, no you're you're like you don't nope that exists that tattoo exists somewhere on someone and uh someone a friend who like well she passed away but one of her favorite uh tattoos in the bad tattoos realm was one that said no regrets regrets but spelled wrong uh-huh no regrets like somebody got that tattooed kind of like when bart got his tattoo and it said moth on it (laughs) let me just say uh, so we can not do tattoos as the final word controversy aside if you take this idea of inktober i mean just do it right i mean it's not anything that is going to be negative about it it's just an exercise in artistic and uh, you know your creativity and and so just do it. I mean, in fact, I might even do it next year, too. Right. I, I would say, like, for me, it was fun. And going on Instagram and seeing other people that were posting their Inktober drawings, that was fun. Yeah. There's, like, way more people involved. Like, you can't look at everything, but you can still, like, have a good time. And it was fun. See the negative things about Internet, but something like this couldn't be such a phenomenon if it wasn't for the Internet. The Inktober idea is so popular now because of social media it's something that could have happened within a college art program yeah like we're doing this challenge this month but it wouldn't have gotten as big as this if there wasn't the social media aspect yeah so i'm gonna try it next year stay tuned for that we'll probably get a couple of album covers or album covers we could probably get a couple of podcast episode covers out of that one yeah andrew thank you for tasting pringles this week on our podcast i very i appreciate you being on the podcast and participating even though we weren't able to do this for inktober we at least got the ink episode in before the end of the year and then we've got like 10 months to get ready for next inktober 
Nine and a half. And yeah. if the bad tattoos don't serve as a cautionary tale, let tattoo assassins serve as that cautionary tale. Be very, very clear on what you want to get put on your body. Right. Yeah. Like maybe wait till you're 30. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Even later, maybe. I mean, I don't know. Maybe. And I, when I said like I was too old, I don't think I'm like actually too old. I just don't have the interest. I think that's. Yeah. Can you get a squid in squid ink? Can you request that kind of stuff? Or is that like hoity-toity fancy like rich people getting that stuff? I'll have to do some research because like th- that might be something that the body absorbs pretty easily. Yeah. Or we'll do that on the calamari episode. Yeah. On the calamari episode. Yeah. Thank you audience for joining us on this week's episode of the Too Vague Podcast. My name is Ben. My name is Andrew. And we've been your hosts. Good night. Bye.